thing that I keep coming back to over and over is that I want to be ready for the coming of the Lord. Whatever it costs, I want to be ready. And that's a statement that's easy to make. I don't know for sure that it's necessarily a statement that's easy to live. Because some people, before they are willing to buy in to the cost, whatever it is, they're going to be sure that they count the cost and go over in their minds what they're going to have to give up or what they're going to have to lay down in order to make it. And I'm going to tell you that contrary to modern theology, um, it's going to cost you something to make it. It's going to cost you something to make it. There is a comfortable, be happy approach to Christianity in this day and time that we live in that I don't know if it's to build a, a bigger base of people in seats or exactly what it is, but there is a spirit of this age that just says, come as you are, stay as you are, be happy as you are. God understands your weaknesses. God understands what you've been going through. God understands how you were raised. And um, I can't seem to find that rationale in, in the scripture. I can't seem to find that the Lord is really willing to robe himself in flesh, lay down his life for us. First John Chapter 3 and verse 16 says, How be it perceived we the love of God that he laid down his life for us. God laid down his life for us. And he did not do that for us to stay in our sin. He did that for us to experience true freedom. He did that for us to truly understand what it feels like to walk in the liberty of the Holy Ghost. Is there anybody here tonight that still believes, I know it's old-fashioned, but is there anybody here that still believes that if the Son has made you free, you are free indeed? <laughs> is there anybody that knows what it means to be free in here tonight? Oh, great God. In 1 Samuel, the 16th chapter, we find the narrative of the anointing of David as king over Israel. There's a lot that transpires between his anointing and him being seated on the throne first in Judah and then over all of Israel. We could go a lot of directions with that, but there's something on my heart and my mind that um, I haven't really preached in this vein for a long time uh, necessarily. And so um, I want to obey the Holy Ghost and help somebody. But as you read through the 16th chapter, and I would recommend highly that you take the time to read through the story because there's so many principles that are there. The scripture said that the prophet came to Jesse's house, which was David's father, and that he worked his way through um, the seven sons of Jesse. 
But there was something that was missing with all of the brothers of David. It wasn't what God was looking for. God was not looking for just somebody that could look like a king. Oh, man, I wish I could preach right here. God wasn't just looking for somebody that felt like they were a good leader. And so because they knew how to handle money and they knew kind of how to make decisions that they would be uh, a good king. But the 11th verse, Samuel said to Jesse, he said, are these, uh, are these here? He points to all the boys. He said, are these here, all your children? And he said, well, there remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keeps the sheep. And this is what I want to preach to you about right here. He said, behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, he said, well, then send and fetch him. And I love this. For we will not sit down till he come thither. He said, I know because the Lord sent me here to anoint a king that the next face I behold in your lineage will be the next king of Israel. He said, but Jesse, you need to know something. I'm not going to sit down until the king shows up. I'm not going to sit down until the next king walks into this place right here because that's where the anointing is going to be. If I can just come out of the gate tonight swinging for the fence, I want to tell you that the enemy's been doing everything he could over the last several years to get the church to sit down. But I've come tonight to declare to the devil, I'm not sitting down and this church is not sitting down. The church of the living God is not going to sit down. We're going to keep standing until the king comes. We're going to keep standing until the king shows up. It was a posture of being ready, a posture of availability, a posture of letting David know when he arrived on the scene, we've been waiting for your arrival. It was a posture that let David know when he got there without hesitation, you won't be waiting on us to anoint you because we've been waiting on you to arrive. We know it's the plan of God for you to be here. We know it's a plan of God for you to be anointed. But I wonder what would have happened on David's face, the look that would have been there if when he would have walked back to his father's house after his brother sent for him and said, hey, Samuel's at the house the prophet he's there with anointing oil and the rumor has it you're going to be the next king I wonder what would have been on David's face if when he would have got there Samuel would have been propped up against a big rock with a big long piece of grass hanging out of his mouth just kicking back in the breeze and relaxing that is no posture of expectation but it is a posture that says whatever happens happens Samuel did not come for the fellowship of Jesse's family. Samuel came to anoint a king. Samuel did not come to look at the beauty of his family. Samuel came because the kingdom was in need of a king. I fear that when the Lord comes back, you're going to find a lot of people in a posture of relaxation. 
I said it this morning. We're, we're, we're still trying to learn how to quit sinning. And he's trying to call us to intimacy. We're at a place where we're, we're just, we just celebrate if we have a day of victory that we didn't do what we used to do all the time. Well, thank God I made it through another day. Listen, there's something more for us than being healed all the time. There's something more for us than having to recover all the time. There is a deeper measure for us that God wants to take us to. I wish you could see who you are in the Holy Ghost tonight. You have not just been saved to live in survival mode. You are a child of God. You are a king's kid. You are a soldier in the army of the Lord. It's not time for a good soldier to sit down and relax and prop our feet up and say, well, whenever the commander is ready to show up, he'll show up. I believe it's the will of God for him to come back looking for a church on its tiptoes. The present day church is very comparable to the group of Jewish disciples that followed after Jesus during the height of his popularity. Everywhere he went, multitudes hung on his every word. He filled up houses, he filled up synagogues. Filled up the temple everywhere he went. People were interested. As a matter of fact, it finally got so bad that there wasn't a building that could contain it. And his heart was broken because of the death of his cousin, John Baptist. And so he went out into the wilderness to rest. And would you believe he filled up a wilderness? 5,000 men, plus their wives and their children, were waiting on the Messiah when he stepped off of the boat. It's powerful. When you understand that he did miraculously turn two fish and five barley loaves into a feast for 5,000. In John 6 and 14, his followers lifted up their voice and they said, well, with the truth, uh, of a truth, this is a prophet right here. This, this is a prophet that should come into the world. This is absolutely who we've been waiting for. They were so enthralled by Jesus that they were ready to take Israel by force from the Romans and make Jesus the king of Israel. He uh, was not moved by this popular emotion, however, and he certainly cared nothing. The Bible said he made himself of no reputation. He didn't care about everybody patting him on the back and telling him that he was doing a good job. He wasn't doing anything but fulfilling the will of God in his life. He withdrew from the crowds and he headed up in the 15th verse for another night of prayer up into the mountains. And the next day the crowd, they found him again. Read your Bible. It said they came again. And their excitement was at this feverish pitch that it had been for uh, the last 24 hours. They couldn't even sleep. Can you imagine standing there and watching the Messiah as he took five loaves in his hand, held them up to the heavens, and they began to break them. And as they broke them, every plate, every basket, every, uh, every blanket, every person had some. And the Bible said that there were 12 baskets full of fragments that were left. I'm not talking about just a little bit of work. I'm talking about God that is absolutely positively able to take what you've got and make it more than enough. So all night they talked about this, this God man, this who is he? I, th th this is so unbelievable that he would have this power and, 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 and they were ready to face 
the invincible might of Rome itself. They were ready to, to, to beat it down. I mean, they, they were ready on behalf of Jesus Christ to go storming into Jerusalem and absolutely let Caesar know you're not in charge anymore. There's, there's a new king that's here and, and uh, we're, we're going to do everything that we have to do. But the first words that Jesus spoke to them established the course the next day for what would follow. He said to them in verse 16, he said, truly, I say unto you that you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate loaves. Think about what I'm telling you right now. You're not, you're, you're not seeking after me because you saw signs. You're seeking after me because you ate loaves. I want to tell you that the crowd always thins out when the loaves and the fish are gone. And the call is to self-crucifixion. It's always easy to find people when miracle signs and wonders are happening. It's harder to find people to anoint his body when it's hanging on a cross, has been brought down off of the cross, has been laid in a grave. It's hard to find people. As a matter of fact, one of the ones that followed him the closest in the garden, ready to cut off the ear of a guardsman. But the night that Jesus was betrayed, he stood in the same room with him, but from a far distance. It was easier for him to dislocate himself and stand off in a distance because the closer you get to the cross, the thinner the crowd gets. The closer you get to crucifixion, the harder it is to align yourself with God's ideas. I thank God. I thank God for what he's done. I thank God, if I could say it like this, that he's moved the church from the other side of the tracks. I don't say this in a braggadocious way tonight, but I'm glad to announce to you that the apostolic church of Jesus Christ is not the poorest folks in town. We don't live on the other side of the tracks. We've been blessed. God has rested on us. We work good jobs. We got good people. We've done some things with our lives. But here's the problem. Before you get too excited, We've taught them how to get off skid row, get a good job, make more money than they've ever made, finally drive the kind of car they always dreamed of driving, finally live in the kind of house they always dreamed of having, and they go to bed in that big house every night empty. Come to church three times a week and go home bound and lay down in their bed in that house that was too much for them to afford before they understood the blessings of God from Malachi 3. And now they give in their tithe, but privately they are absolutely destroyed in their spirit. They go home addicted. They go home messed up. They go home ripped to shreds. And they come to the house of God and they shake hands and they smile. I want to tell you tonight that I'm serving God for more than a beautiful house on a hillside I'm serving God for more than a brand new car I thank God for the prosperity of his church but if I lose my house and I lose my car and I lose every suit I own I've got to be saved Serving God has always been a matter of the heart. 
God has a right to see if your religious activity spring from a deep and inward consecration or if it's something that's just surface. And I think that might be part of the problem, especially in, if I could say it like this, I hate even using the word, but in holiness movements. We teach people to work so much on the outside that a lot of them get that together, but they got a Pharisee problem. Whited sepulchers. But inside, they're dead men's bones. True relationship with God begins and ends with the heart. And weak faith reveals your commitment to how you're going to serve, what you'll do to serve. Jesus said that many receive the word with joy. That's what he said. He said many receive the word with joy. But when their faith is tested, they fall away. So I'm saying to you tonight... In the presence of the family of God. If we truly believe. That it all begins with the heart. For salvation. Then you must also know. That the falling away. In your life. Will begin with the heart. I'm going to preach to where we are tonight. But I thank God. for The beautiful women and men of God. That live holy and separated lives under the Lord. I thank God for you. I really do. I don't want to hurt anybody in this place tonight. But I think it's obvious everybody knows who we are as apostolics. So I just want to tell you that before you would see a woman stop dressing in a long dress. Trimming her hair. Before you ever saw that. She'd be backslidden in the invisible part of who she is. There is a fight that's been going on in the heart and the mind of that person that walks away from God. And it's been a wrestling match for months and maybe even years for some of them until finally they get sick of the fight and they get tired of wrestling. But the truth is that if you get to the bottom of their heart, you find out the hardest part for them to walk away from are the loaves and the fish and not the intimacy in the garden. If I really did what I wanted to do in my heart right now, I would risk losing my family. And if I lose my family, I'm going to pay child support. And if I pay child support, I can't afford to do what I want to. And I know it could be a plethora of things, but I'm running this through right now. If I give that up, then I give that ministry up. I've seen men do it that have been in full-time ministry. And they live in sin because the only thing that puts food on their table is doing ministry. But you hear me when I tell you tonight and I hope you don't have anything to worry about but before I would ever stand in this pulpit and take uh, advantage of the precious people of God I would sit my hot down and go flip burgers at McDonald's before I'd stand up here lost there's things that we have to do on the outside we gotta we gotta continue going to church we got to 
fight the fight, the good fight. We've got to somehow live a life. But listen, you can start watching people and tell what's on the inside of their heart by the fruit that they're bearing. They claim to be filled with the Holy Ghost, got the Spirit of the living God within them, but never are they manifesting the nine gifts, the nine fruits of the Spirit whatsoever. Woo! I'm going to be bold right here in the Holy Ghost and tell you, just because you talk in tongues, it doesn't impress God. If you don't have fruit in your life, you're already backslid. Somewhere along the line, the inward faith of your soul, who you are, is going to be tested. Everybody loved it when Jesus is multiplying fish and loaves. But I'm telling you right now, the crowd got thin and people got offended when he said, if you don't eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, they're like, what? We like the loaves and the fish a lot better. He said, but if you're going to be one of mine, you're going to partake of the suffering by which I suffer. Oh, God. It was frustrating to them when they went from miracles, signs, and wonders, the miracle-working power of Jesus Christ, and then he opens up his crazy mouth, and he makes statements like this. If any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me in their life. That, that's, that's not why we followed you. We followed you because we saw you raise a man from the dead, that woman's son, in the middle of a funeral procession. That's why we followed you, because we got kids, and if our kid dies, we want you doing the funeral. I, 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 just, I just preached. I don't want this to be counterproductive because God knows we're doing our best to build a church in this community and let him build the church. But I'm going to tell you something right now, folks. If we're not careful, when we start to get cold, the thing that keeps us in a local assembly is the fellowship of brethren and not fellowship with God. Did y'all see that lead balloon? That just, did you see that? The lead balloon just fell right down on the ground right there. This intimacy with God, you can tell. Because they don't care how fast or how slow the song is. If it's intimacy with God, it don't matter if it's their favorite preacher or not their favorite preacher. If it's based on intimacy with God, they don't care if it's on page 133 or on the wall. These stupid songs. Ain't no wonder people don't worship. <laughs> Folks, listen. I love him enough that I'm looking for reason. I look for songs. 
I look for things that talk about beauty, that talk about wonder, that talk about amazement, and I'll turn it into a song for him. I love him so I don't care if the children's choir singing it. I don't care if the sanctuary choir singing it. I don't care if the youth praise team singing it. I don't care if it's at camp meeting or the Mississippi Mass Choir. I'm telling you, he's worthy of my praise. He's worthy of the glory. He's worthy of the honor. And if you fall in love with him, it don't matter who's saying it, he's worthy. Can I make you snore in Greek and dream in Hebrew for just a second? Can I do that? Jesus busts out in this crazy stuff. Starts talking about whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. Whosoever shall keep his life is going to lose it. And they're like, what is wrong with this guy? But in John 12, 25, Jesus kind of slightly alters the second statement a little bit. He said, he who loves his life, the Greek word, psyche, loses it. He who hates his psyche in this cosmos, in the world, in the cosmos, shall keep it to life eternal. Whoever loves his psyche... Is going to lose it. But he who hates it. In this cosmos. In this world. Shall keep it to life. Zoe eternal. The deliberate choice of words. For life that Jesus used here. Sheds the real meaning. On the power. The word psyche in the Greek. Represents one's existence on earth. While Zoe, eternity, represents one's life in God. So if I could break it down like this for you, Jesus was saying, Whosoever loves his existence on the earth loses it. But he who hates his existence in the world shall keep it to a life in God forevermore. Is that too deep? Did I jump off there in the deep end of the pool? Jesus is saying, if the only place you've got treasures is right here, then the treasure is what you're going to fall in love with. But if you'll set your sights a little bit higher than where moth and rust doth corrupt, you're going to find out that there is a life beyond this world. I thank God for every blessing in my life, but I'm not going to get excited about what I've got and then sit down because I'm so blessed. I'm going to keep on standing if I don't even have a house. Look at your neighbor tonight and tell him, don't you dare sit down. <laughs> that one for you that just sat down. <laughs> I know somebody right there was like, oh God, I don't want to disobey the preacher. <laughs> don't you love that when you're halfway in between, you've been standing, you're on your way down, and the preacher says, let's remain standing, and you're stuck? <laughs> That's glorious. <laughs> First Corinthians 1 and 8 is a true test. 118 is a true test. I believe it's, it is the ultimate litmus test, if you would, 
for how we feel about the word of God and where our treasures are. For the preaching of the cross. To them that perish. It's foolishness. But unto us. Think about this now. Like this, this is so awesome, it preaches itself. It just uses my body to do it. But unto us which are saved, there's no foolishness to it. People look at it and you guys are foolish. Why do you think it costs that much to live for God? You can always tell where their motive is by the way they ask questions. Because from my side, I'm saying, I can't believe this is all I've got to do. You believe that? They're saying, man, y'all do too much. You require too much. And I'm saying, can you believe he gave everything and this is all he wants? You, you, you mean it's hard to be in church when the doors are open? Oh, dear God, it's a blessing to be in the house of God. Folk live their lives and dope dealers keep them broke, busted, and disgusted. They come to God. They're like, 10%? Like, dude, you just live giving 98.74% to some dude that's going to give you something going to last for an hour. Feeding your kids macaroni and cheese that somebody had to donate to you. And the Lord's going to give you a better job, a better house. I'm trying to help somebody up in here right now. Can I tell you that the way of the transgressor is hard, but preaching is foolishness to the transgressor. Young people, I get sick of my mom and dad making me go to church. We know where your heart is. Because if they got to make you come. I think I might just preach on Sunday night a little bit. I love my babies. I pick on them all the time. I pick on them. I picked on my wife this morning talking about her money in the drawer, you know. She went home looking, hoping I was right. I walked in there, every, every pair of socks was laying in the floor. What are you doing? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It didn't really happen. It was a joke. Whew. I looked. I love my babies. And I thank God, I thank God, I thank God that the biggest problem I have in my home is having to tell my kids to get off their phones and devices because I'm sick of hearing church music and preaching. I'm not kidding. I'll hear all this racket come from the other room. I go in there and Jocelyn is having a concert. Don't you dare roll your eyes at me. 
I see you. Y'all understand what I'm saying? And this ain't, this, this ain't pat me on the back. I'm going to tell you right now. When we start giving our kids choices of what to do on Sundays, it's no wonder when we have to start making them want to come. If your kids ever have to choose over ball or church, guess what they're going to pick? Come on, somebody. If they have to pick over sports or uh, stay with their friends or hang out, here's a better idea. Have their friend come to your place on Saturday night and tell them they'll be in the house of God with us tomorrow morning. My dad used to, it hurt my feelings. It hurt my feelings first, first time he did it, and then I realized what he was doing. I played ball in Pendleton, and the coach came to me, to my dad, and uh, he was so excited. He was the coolest guy. I played for the Indiana Corvettes. And the only one I've ever got to drive was Brother Richard Maines. I played for the Indiana Corvettes. And Lord, if you'd have seen R.B. Bingham's face when he found out I signed up for baseball. Woo! My God, my toes were burning. My, Mr. Cooper was a really cool, really, really cool coach, sweet guy. Came to my dad and he said, hey, we're so excited. Luke made all-stars. But I said, great, when are they? He said, they start next Sunday. He said, he won't be there. He said, what? Nope, he won't be there. He was like, Reverend St. Clair, I don't understand. You, you, you heard what I said. He made all-stars. He said, you don't understand what I said, do you? He won't be there. He said, y'all play any games on Saturday? I, would, they may, I don't know, but it starts on Sunday. He said, all right, we'll see you next season. So that Sunday, I was on the drums. And I didn't say anything about it because I cherished the skin on my back hide. <laughs> my dad lived with conviction that it's all right. It's all right for you to enjoy your life and have some fun. But if there's ever a question of what comes first... For the 40% that are ready to be dismissed. <laughs> Preaching of the cross is foolishness. You hear why? Why would you keep your kids from doing that? Do you know what they're missing out on? My mom and dad drug me around the country, me and Jody. It makes my wife sad. I never thought about it. She tells me, she said, honey, when you tell that, I get so sad. <laughs> Brother McLean, when we left here, we left here in 1985, and my dad, we, we, it was the first time I ever flew. We flew to Chicago and picked up a 1979 truck. And I'm like, are we going further than the convenience store? We drove that home. We didn't even own a trailer yet. 
He was renting a Terry fifth wheel from Shorty Mayo in Amwell, Louisiana that had a leaky roof on it. And my dad had a five-state sales territory, was doing really well working for Dovey. My mom was a registered nurse. At that time, she was knocking down Jack. Felt pretty good. Working in the emergency room, she was doing very well. My mom and dad went and bought their first brand-new car together, a, a brand-new, like, there's going to be five people in here that know what this is, a Pontiac 6000. All the kids are like, what's a Pontiac? It was sweet, man. Charcoal gray. Good looking. Smelled new. I sat in that car for the first time. I'm like, what's that smell? We got in that rented travel trailer that smelled like Louisiana swamp. And we headed down the road. And then my dad bought a new trailer. We came home for a weekend and down here at Modern Trailer Sales. I, that place is near and dear to me. We went down there to Modern Trailer Sales and they had a 1903. <laughs> Nomad travel trailer, 35 foot long, 8 feet wide, no tip outs. Weighed 54,000 pounds. And we walk in. To the living room and it was laid out just like your trailer was man with the living room in the end kitchen in the middle bathroom up the first set of stairs and the bed up in the second set of stairs and we walked in there like hey we got a new house I'm like where are we sleeping my mom was like oh we got y'all sleeping bags that orange shag carpet right there welcome home that's where you'll be sleeping at night. I'm like, Mom, can you not make the bed, like make the sofa down? No, it's too much trouble. And man, people looked at it and they're like, man, the St. Clairs were foolish. They were foolish to drag their kids around like that. Look at what they missed. Look, man, they didn't have a normal life. They didn't get to go to school. Look at, man, look at all the things they missed and all that. And I'm like, yeah, I miss drugs and STDs and wild parties and... on somebody why do y'all drag your kids I mean you can only have so much church I'm gonna tell y'all something right now if there was any way Luke St. Clair could have backslid as a kid it would have been a miracle from heaven there's only 365 days in a year and we were in church over 350 times a year we wasn't this weak jellyback stuff brother Oliver these evangelists now bro they got it good I'm like, <laughs> I'm 13 years old, Try, start traveling. They're like, we want you to come preach revival for us. I'm like, oh, okay, you want me like Saturday and Sunday? They're like, no, brother. We have church Monday through Sunday. And my little old squeaky voice, I'm like, okay. Like, I ain't never preached six messages, seven if you got Sunday night church. I ain't, everybody did. Then I ain't never preached seven messages in my life. I ain't got nothing to preach. My dad said, God will fill your mouth, son. I went preaching revival. I don't know why I'm telling all this. Everybody okay? Somebody's like, I don't know why you are either. Souls weighing in the balance and you're being foolish. 
I went and preached for Bishop M.L. Walls. Sister Doris, I wondered if I'd ever get it back after that. I went and preached for Brother Walls. My dad pulled the trailer. You've never met a more kind man than Brother Walls. But, man, he can forevermore make you feel awkward. He's like a very studious gentleman, very, very quiet, very statuesque sometimes, you know, and kind of overwhelming. And I got there for the first night of revival. My dad pulled our little travel trailer that we had to camp in. Because we didn't get enough when we lived in one, so we bought one to camp for fun. And we took it down there. My mom was going to play the keys for me at night, and I was going to preach. And I, I started getting ready for church that first night of revival, man. I was ready to roll. I was smoking hot. I had, I had something real hot, like, who knows, John 3.16 or something. I was, I was ready to rip and roar. And I got dressed for church. I remember what I wore that night. I'll never forget it. I had a teal, uh, a, a teal green sport coat and navy pants. Like, I, I was ready to look smooth, you know. And I got my socks on, got dressed, and I, <laughs> I went to get dressed. My dress shoes were in Anderson. <laughs> now I could roll with it. You know, I'm 40 years old. I've been preaching 25 years. I, I, I roll with it now. I'll preach something about running, make everybody think I did it on purpose. I wasn't that smooth then. <laughs> my mom had... My mom and dad had bought me the new Converse tennis shoes that Indiana University's basketball team had signed on that year. They were white and bright red Converse React tennis shoes, high top, teal green, navy blue pants, and Converse React tennis shoes. And at that point, forgive me if I sound crude, I didn't care if the whole world went to hell. I was not going on the platform like that. Here I am, the evangelist for the week. And my mom's like, well, baby, you just go out there and have church. Like, I'm like, no, mom. No. I'm crying. I'm, I'm messed up. I'm like, why, God, do you let these things happen? What a mess. You know what? I got up and preached in them tennis shoes. I stayed behind the pulpit. But I got up in them shoes and I preached and God started touching young people. And then my dad came down so we could really have revival and brought me my dress shoes. I didn't preach any better in dress shoes than I did tennis shoes. But here's what I want you to know. I'm thankful that there was somebody along the way that said, son, always keep his kingdom first in your life. If you got to wear tennis shoes and that's your best, go get it. Some might call it foolishness, but it's life everlasting. I'm never going to get finished. Oh, God. I feel like... I feel like there's a lot of folks... And you've heard me make mention of this, but I just want to take this a little deeper now. I'm going to quit. But I feel like sometimes after we've made it through a difficult time, a difficult season... Sometimes we just start breathing deep and take it easy. If I could be really honest with you, I feel a little bit of that this summer. Last summer, we were bawling and squalling saying, I can't wait to be in the house of the Lord. And this summer, it's been a little bit different. Because we feel some normalcy in our lives. 
we're back to a little bit of normal where like uh, I reached out to um, a very, I'll say it like this because I don't want to hurt him. They're online too. A very close friend, Brother Oliver's daughter's in their family. He's a pastor. And I, I, I caught, we were like bouncing things off. I called him one Sunday and I said, hey man, you having church? He said, yep. Unless I get there and the National Guard's at the front door. He said, then they're probably going to have to fight me to keep me from going in. And I remember that pressure every week. I remember feeling that pressure every week. We're going to show up here and the health department's going to be here and fighting a stupid newspaper, calling me about outbreaks that didn't happen and foolishness. Like, I thought I was dying. But I'm just like, ugh, can't handle it. And that pressure starts lifting off of us. Now they, they talk about some Delta strand or something. They're like, ah, forget that. Like, we're good. Let's, let's just go do it, right? And I'm all about it. We're, we're going to be right here. These doors are unlocked. We're going to have church. We're going to do it. But understand me when I tell you, as your pastor, I came on this Sunday night. We've had a great time tonight. It's been fun. But can I just pastor be, be pastor for a minute? Can I just maybe settle heavy on you for just a minute right here? I love to have a good time with you, but I'm going to tell you what we cannot afford to do in 2021. We cannot afford to put these difficult days and times behind us and then just sit down. Because you mark my words when I tell you in the Holy Ghost tonight that the spirit of deception has not slowed down at all. There is more deception right now than there's ever been because people have started taking sides of which deception they want to believe. You don't have to like it, but it's a fact. And it's amazing what people put their faith in and the words that they put their faith in. And they say, oh, that's got to be the truth. That's got to be the truth. But in the place that we know where there is truth, that there has never been a truth like the truth of the word of God, we start reprioritizing. Well, since it's better, I think I'll just kind of move that back to where it was before I got here. Listen, whatever desperation you felt last year to be in the house of God, I want that same desperation again. Whatever it was in us, listen, I don't know what it was that made us give like we've never given to missions last year but let's do it let's go for it let's do whatever we've got to do let's keep the pressure on if the, the lord is coming back and we cannot sit down the king is on his way i'm troubled we haven't baptized somebody in two weeks this joker ought to be troubled every week three or four five six times a week I wonder what happened if we'd sit down and have a discussion about baptism instead of vaccines. Holy cow, did pastor just say the white elephant in the room? Listen, folks, I'm going to tell you something. There's going to be some folks, when the day of the Lord approaches, when the day of the Lord approaches, I believe this with all my heart. They're already going to be so exhausted from fighting the fight that however it all transpires, if somebody walked up and said, here, just stick your hand out, lay your forehead out here, they're just going to walk right into it and do it. But I'm going to tell you what they're not going to do. They're not going to do it 
without knowing what they're doing. It's going to be a choice that you make. You will intentionally set down before the coming of the Lord. I don't have a clue what's going to happen with all these shots, all these companies. They can't figure it all out. They don't have a clue. That's why I don't watch the news. I don't listen. I could care less what they're saying. It don't matter to me. I accidentally found out that Western Europe got hammered this week with flooding. I accidentally saw it. Then I started reading that, praying for those poor people. Man, I was heartbroken. Where people live forever, like generational homes, they're just gone. And the only thing I can think of when I see that stuff is every bit of that's passing away. It's all going to pass away. All that house you've paid a mortgage on for 35 years, it's gone. It's not going to matter anymore. And if we sit down to keep what's temporal, we're going to lose what's eternal. What do you think? What do you think about our government? I'll tell you what I think about our government the nicest way I can. The government's on his shoulders. And I'm going to tell you all something. I'm not being rude tonight. But there were people that didn't have revival when their favorite president was in. And there's people that's not going to have revival when their favorite president. It don't matter who's in office. It don't change the mandate. It don't change who we are. It don't change what we do. It don't change that lost souls are around us. It doesn't change that the king is coming back. And we've got to be ready and be standing on our feet when he comes back. You may have heard me talk about this before but I want to close with this if I may I know this is a different Sunday night not a lot of you jumping around dancing and shouting but I hope it's because you're searching your soul Revelation the 19th chapter said that after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying hallelujah salvation and glory and honor and power of the Lord our God it goes into all the power in verse 5 voice came out of the throne saying praise our God all ye his servants ye that fear him both small and great verse 6 I heard as it were a voice of a great multitude a voice of many waters a voice of mighty thundering saying hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth let us be glad rejoice and give honor right it's beautiful verse 8 And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Everybody got that? The fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Is there anybody in here by chance that's ever tried to wear linen? Have you noticed you can have the best iron there is? But the first time you sit down, now I'm about to draw a couple parallels you may have never thought of. This bride's dressed in white linen, fine linen, beautiful linen. But the word said she's also without spot or wrinkle. If the linen is the righteousness. 
There's really only one way to keep your linen from getting wrinkled. You got to keep sanding. I'm reaching for somebody tonight and telling you, don't get tired. Keep on standing. The king is on the way. We can't sit down now. We got to be ready when the king shows up. Stand with me tonight. Fine linen. I know that the enemy loves to play games with our mind. I know he does. He loves to make us feel like we're unworthy. He loves to make us feel like we'll never be enough. But I'm going to tell you what this preacher believes tonight. I believe that there is enough power in this house to set any man or woman free from any addiction that you have carried into this place. I believe that right now. I believe in this house tonight, right now. I'm not talking about six months from now. I'm talking about 720 right now on July the 18th, right now in this house. I believe that right now in this room, if you carried a heavy load into this place, and you don't feel like you're ready for the coming of the Lord. I believe you can step out from where you are right now. Make your way to this altar and get it right before you leave here. These altars are wide open right now. I'm not going to give a great big altar call. I'm just reaching for somebody tonight that said, Pastor, I just feel a little cold. I feel a little bit disconnected. I, I feel like I'm not quite as close as I need to be. I love God, but I'm not 100% sure I've been standing the way that I need to stand. So let me just tell you tonight, the best thing you can do is to come to this house where strength is being poured out right now. You may be weary from the fight. You may be weary from the fray. The enemy of your soul may be pushing you. Your family may be pushing you. Your kids may have you so stressed out you can't see straight, but you can't sit down now. Whew, God, I felt something right there. If you could use just a little strength from above right now, would you just reach out and let the Lord pour into you? God, you see our families. You see the children. You see the young people. You see the marriages. You see the brokenness. You see the jobs. You see the bosses. You see the pressure, the sickness. You see the doctor's reports. God, you see it tonight. You know. We're not going to sit down. We're not, we're, we're not going to sit down. The king is on his way. The king is on his way. Come on, that's it. Just reach for him right now. You don't have to have a song to get you inspired right now. Just reach out to him. I plead the blood of Jesus over our hand, every hand that's raised in here right now, Lord. I plead the blood of her hand, every hand that's raised right now. Let life and strength come into this room right now, God. Our guests that are here, I pray, Lord, a blood covering over them. I pray over every faithful saint of God that's here every time the doors are open. I pray for the cold, the indifferent, the backslider tonight. I pray for strength. I pray, God, for those that are watching online right now that you would send strength. In the name of the Lord Jesus, breathe in this room right now, oh God. I just feel that gentle brush of angels' wings in this room right now. I feel that gentle nudge of the Holy Ghost in this room right now. 
Oh, God, for those that are weary, give rest. For those that are down, Father, would you lift them up? For those who can't lift their own head, be the lifter of their head. We look under the hills from which cometh our help tonight. He caught tie on double side.